You're listening to the Warden Alumni Executive Education Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wharton Alumni Executive Education Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gramatsky, and today I'm going to be talking to Alex Martinez, who is currently working with two startup companies, one that does 3D printing uh, in biotechnology, and the other is um, a software as a service company. Uh, so thank you for being on today. Can you please explain to me what it means to be doing 3D printing um, for, for biotech, essentially? Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Alex. Thank you very much for having me today. It's uh, really a pleasure to talk to you a little bit more about my professional career and what I've done in the last few years. Uh, so this startup, uh, we started working with uh, a couple of uh, scientists back in uh, probably three years ago. And the reason is because we saw a niche in uh, clinical trials when drug pharmaceuticals are developing drugs. Uh, there's obviously three phases. And I think somebody else already talked about, uh, I think it was Jubel. She talked about some of those phases and what entitles and what do you have to do and it differs from company to company. But uh, in an essence, what we want to uh, do is to help all these companies minimize the amount of tests that they have to perform in order to get the, uh, the best compound or the best combination of your, uh, of your drug or your pharmaceutical. And in order to do that, we can replicate uh, from human tissue uh, depending on which organ they want to target this company. Let's say we can say um, the, the trachea, the lungs, and uh, maybe the stomach or the, the entire system. Uh, so we can really target and, and, and deliver the company a lot more efficient than if you were doing it with, with mice. This is not to um, eliminate these trials or the uh, the need for, let's say, animals and humans, but it's just to minimize and to be able to target the drug a lot better. So you can just test without going to animals or humans. You can test before you get to that point. So it gives you a, um, a benefit before you get to that point. Yeah, so thank you for doing a little bit of recap on that because when you told me that you're essentially 3D printing tissues or organs, if I caught that correctly, I was like, you got to dive right into that. So yeah, I appreciate you being on today and and explaining that to me because I was like, how can you be 3D printing? Like, is that like live organ tissues? Is that right? Yes, it, it is. So you essentially use uh, live cells and you deploy the live cells in layers and you can have multiple materials and basically you can replicate any organ in the uh, uh, in, in, in just a, a small amount of uh, tissue. So you don't need to have uh, live animals to do that. So we can print uh, a lot of material really fast and we're developing on right now on the machine and also the, uh, the components related to the machine that is gonna make it as fast as possible. So we can deploy all this tissue to all the companies as fast as we can. Um, it's it's something that it's uh, unique. Uh, we're trying to uh, improve the system because we believe that we can save animal lives and also human lives by doing this. It will help tremend tremendously society, and that is one of our goals. Well, yeah, it's gonna save animal lives and human lives, like like you mentioned. But I think that in itself, that that's technologically capable or able to do that. That is beyond my brain's comprehension already. So how do you get into that field? Let's go back and, and rewind that a little bit. How do you end up there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I so most of the time people ask me, so what do you do? And, and 
every single time I try to make it as simple as possible. And in a nutshell, I try to make ideas and dreams come true. I work primarily in the electromechanical design, but lately more towards integrating hardware and software. Um, my experience at work and Wharton really helped me pause and uh, refocus and reinvent myself. Um, that's why I'm right now assisting uh, with this startup. I think it right now is in the product development phase, but it can change the world. And, and that's something that I'm critical about about myself uh, these days, and I want to be better. Um, so it took me a while to get to this point, but I think if I can pivot right now, it's the perfect time to get into this space since there's not a lot of companies out there doing it. And uh, if we can be one of the first ones, it will definitely uh, have an impact in the future. Now, it, it's something that uh, I'm really attracted to it. I'm collaborating as much as possible, but I'm also involved in other areas. And I try to balance my time as effective as possible, but, and sometimes it's difficult, but uh, I think using my expertise and, and we can go uh, later and talk a little bit more about what I've done in the past and how all the, all this gets gets together you know how did i go from um you know studying mathematical models to biotech and 3d printing it just in the end i had to have the, all the experience in my life to get to this point and i think it's the perfect timing no that makes sense i think we always end up you know with our experiences that end up exactly where we're meant to be and so that makes a lot of sense. So did you start with software or hardware first? Because the combination of the two, I think that's what's so difficult for a lot of companies um, to merge. And that's what I think it sounds like you're doing right now, essentially merging the 3D printing on the hardware side with the software of what has to be done to, to make this happen, so to speak. But how, how did you get into, um, or what did you get into first? Was it software or hardware in general in your career? Yeah, it was mostly uh, hardware. And uh, it's it's very unique because I never anticipating having all this experience. And if you look at all the work that I've done, it's uh, it's very unconventional. It's almost like I didn't follow any path. And uh, and it's unique in a sense. And uh, I can tell you that one year I was developing mathematical models to help manufacture turbine engines. The next one, I was managing construction projects of hotels, restaurants, and retail stores like for 21, H&M, American Eagle, uh, all in North America. Uh, later, I was in charge of a global engineering group uh, designing seat components for all the automotive uh, companies in the world, the Fords, the GMs, the Kias. And finally, I became um, a CFO slash CTO of a specialized machine tool manufacturer. So yes, I started with uh, a lot of the hardware and also uh, the background of the software. Uh, when I started working on the mathematical models, my goal was to be able to predict the behavior of uh, uh, materials such as titanium. How are they going to perform in the world when you, uh, let's say you do a, a forming operation or a machining operations? How can we replicate that? And there's a lot of software behind that. So it is important that um, you can replicate the behavior of the material as, as good as possible. Uh, so it's almost like I started working on hardware, but a little bit of software, whatever was in the back end, to what is now with the uh, 
vertical machining centers that I was helping develop until this year, because it's a it's a it's a combination between a mechanical design and also how can you make the software as um, as proficient as possible to make the machine to perform with the tolerances and the accuracy and repeatability that it requires to compete in this world. Um, you know, in the end, I believe that uh, who we are at this moment is the result of different factors. In my opinion, the following are what drives our careers and my career. One is hard work and performance. Number two is our environment, the network that we have and our relationships. And the last one, uh, luck, which might be controversial, and there is a lot of philosophical debate uh, about it. Some say that luck is just uh, cognitive evolution. And some question that the uh, notion to what extent we can make our luck. Uh, for example, if I buy a Mega Million ticket or a Powerball ticket, am I controlling that? Because now I'm increasing the, uh, the probability that I'm going to win the lottery. Um, so I think all those factors are driving me and have uh, driven me to get to this point, how to understand machines, how the machines uh, uh, relate to the software in a sense that it makes it better. And developing vertical machining centers is helping me now developing the 3D printer that we need that is capable to produce as fast as possible this tissue. So I needed everything that I have done in the past to be able to get to, that, to this point. And I love the way you speak because I want to get into your education history a little bit as well, too, because just based on on some of the verbiage that you use and, and how your brain works, uh, I, I saw that you do have a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, then a master's degree in numerical methods. And I'm not even sure what numerical methods are. Then you do your master's thesis in computational, computational mechanics. Um, and then you do a doctor of philosophy of mechanical engineering. And, and I don't know how... I, I I just need to pause here a little bit and and have you always been good with numbers or 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 how does your brain work now I want to get into that side of it as well because um when you start talking about luck and creating your luck um, and increasing I think your odds of being successful um, I think those are all really interesting thoughts in itself uh, philosophical thoughts to some degree and um, but then they also tie into the real world and your lived experience so can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's uh, we can quote Nelson Mandela when he said, uh, "Education is a very powerful weapon," and I I believe that uh, because uh, especially I I come from uh, very humble beginnings, and there's an appropriate proverb that says, "Necessity is the mother of invention," and I would like to add that is also uh, the mother of an entrepreneurship. And, and my path started as a kid. Um, going to school, uh, it, it was something that my parents always emphasized uh, growing up. Uh, my parents are, in my opinion, they're very brilliant. My mom is a doctor, a medical doctor. My dad is a mechanical engineer as well. And uh, I always thought that all the parents were as smart as my parents. And uh, But... I have to give them credit because they they really emphasize the power of education and how uh, education can transform your life. You know, growing up, I uh, um, I think my entrepreneur side started when I was probably between eight and ten years old. I, um, I every time we had a break at school, 
um, I felt a little bit bad because the other kids were able to buy, uh, you know, food at the uh, food stand and buy candy and buy all this stuff. Well, we don't really have money to do that. And so I, in my mind, it's like, hey, how can I change this? What can I do? What is in my power to change it? So luckily, walking in the neighborhood, I uh, found a one of these like bulk candy stores. So you can buy a lot of things in bulk. So I figure as a kid, well, why don't you just go buy some of this candy, take them to school and sell it to some of my classmates so I can make some money and then I can buy more. So I end up uh, buying a lot of this candy. Let's say if you buy gum and the gum comes in big packages. So I will just pick and selectively just pick the things that I could just split out. And all, I became a distributor. So I got so popular selling candy at school and in my neighborhood that I was uh, suspended from school because the uh, the school, I was making so much money that the store at the school was going broke <laughs> uh, because all the kids were coming to me for candy. Uh, back then, it was not like how it is. I grew up in Mexico. It was not that we had all these different brands available uh, probably in the early 80s. So I found a local person that was bringing candy from the border and it was candy that nobody had available. So mm -hmm. I made a, uh, my competitive advantages, advantage was to source some of this candy nobody had. So everybody will come to me. Uh, so I got suspended and the, uh, the director of the school, they told me it's like, uh, the only thing we don't want you to do is to keep selling. We're, we're okay with you, but you have to stop selling. So that was my first um, you know, attempt to entrepreneurship. I think we did very well. And it also teached me not to be afraid. And you know, if you want something, you're gonna have to earn it. Because sometimes we believe that we deserve something, but we don't. We have to go out and, 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 and earn it. So the next, when I was a teenager, I started working, uh, selling uh, in a flea market, uh, either junk, like old uh, things or clothes or something that people didn't want anymore. And that really helped me because uh, I understood that there's always a market for everything, for every single thing, there's always a market. Um, and I started school, so it was, it was difficult to keep up with that, but uh, when I was in my, let's say, 20, early 20s, maybe the 15 to 18, I was in high school. Uh, so I saw a niche in, um, in a change because I, I always had to fix our cars. We didn't have money to take it to the shop. So I was always fixing cars. I was very mechanical driven when I was a teenager. I used to disassemble like pickups and put them back together. And I decided that uh, there was a niche with uh, the modifications in the engines that they were coming from with different models and there was a lot of scrap. So I decided to build a business out of scrap. So, and I managed to buy two trucks, two small trucks to go to all the local mechanical shops and get all this uh, old inventories that because of the transition between some models, machines and some vehicles, some of those parts were like obsolete. They cannot do anything with them. So I'll buy them for a small uh, price. And then I would just uh, essentially disassemble the whole parts and sell the steel and sell copper and sell all the parts uh, completely separate. 
And uh, that's how I help my family. That's how I help uh, obviously pay the bills. And I help myself through college. And, um, you know, looking back, I, I don't know why I stopped because it was a good business. But uh, in the end, my parents always emphasized, like, you have to study. You have to uh, do the best you can. And I love school. I, I never stopped learning. Uh, like you mentioned it, I, I love being a mechanical engineer. I also have a minor in electrical engineering. Um, and in all my jobs, I can tell you that uh, I can never say that I've never used what I learned. I In some of the applications that I've done in the past, especially with uh, big customers, let's say Honda or Hyundai or Kia, I've used every single thing that I learned from uh, thermodynamics to uh, dynamics to everything. Everything I've used it. And I think and I believe that uh, education is a very important component of our lives and in our brain. And that's why I try to support as much as possible um, young scientists. And I have a uh, nonprofit based in Mexico that is focused on that. Uh, every time that there's a scientist or a young engineer that is in the process of transitioning between academia and industry, um, when I did that, I did not have anybody to tell me uh, how to do it, what to do, what is the best way to do it. Uh, so now we help young engineers and young PhDs and uh, master students to transition between academia and the uh, and industry. So give them a small projects. We uh, give them a stipend uh, so they can, uh, while they're looking for a job, they can work on some research projects. And if you can see, our uh, nonprofit has been publishing for several years now, and we will continue to do so. Um, and we'll try to find more funding and to try to find more in engineers so we can work on larger projects. But I think education is one of the most important things, and uh, I will never stop learning. It, it's something that uh, I enjoy, and I have this uh, appetite for, for learning, especially something that I don't know. Uh, it intrigues me, and I want to learn as much as possible. It doesn't help your career because, um, you know, uh, uh, recruiters and companies like that progression. They want to see, oh, you started here, you follow this path, and you are an expert in something. I, I say, yes, I am an expert in a couple of things, but I'm more a generalist. I know a lot about a lot of things, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, uh, numerical methods, which is prior to uh, obviously artificial intelligence. Some of the algorithms were used, they are used now. They're not new, they're 50, 60 years old. I learned them 30 years ago. We just didn't have the computational power. Uh, now we have big data, you have, uh you have a lot of computational power i mean just look at microsoft and uh, and the new powerhouse that they have for uh, to use with chat gpt i mean it's just incredible but back then our goal was to optimize these algorithms how can we deploy these algorithms as efficient as possible without using uh too much ram um so and that's how that's how i got here um really uh, started my career in Mexico. I traveled to Spain to do my master's. Um, I got appointed to go to Germany to do my master thesis. Uh, and then came back. I um, did a couple of years at the Ohio State University and went to the Netherlands. So I've been lucky because uh, I live in more than six countries. Uh, I live in Asia. I live in Europe. I live here in the U.S. now. And so it gives me a lot of foundation to understand that the value of um, uh, not being homogeneous, the value of diversity. And it's something that uh, now companies are striving 
to uh, work on that. And there's there's obviously a, a tremendous push. So and and I think having all these experiences help you in your professional career. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because if I recap some of your story, it sounds like as a kid, you know, you saw some opportunities to, to monetize on the with with the candy, and then you get that hands-on experience. Well, after you know being in the flea market, seeing that there's always a market for something, identifying that, you know, finding some trucks, finding mechanics. Now you get to the hardware part of it, right? And you start to deassemble things and, and and resell those things again, finding an opportunity to do that. And then as you have life experiences on that side of things, you probably want to know how things work in a more you know educational perspective. One thing I believe is, you know, you can get a lot of information in, but if you have nothing to anchor it to, it's not going to stick. So having some of those experiences now, all of a sudden you take the educational, you take the informational pieces for you, you start getting your education and continue to develop that because you have, you know, different experiences to anchor onto. You work with incredibly big clients, like you mentioned along the way, like Kia and Hyundai. And you continue to develop your, you know, your, your knowledge and, and how this practically applies in the real world, and that's going to continue to evolve. And and you already have the basis background, um, from like you said, numerical methods. So you're going to understand how AI works. You're going to understand how this fits into big data. You're going to understand how this fits into AI because you've seen the hardware work in the most basic sense by taking some of it apart, and now you're applying some of the software components that maybe didn't exist back then but you had the tools back then and now you can just implement those, which then leads us to how you end up having such a diverse career, I think, um, because your applications are really useful there and end up at something so incredible at, you know, printing, <laughs> printing almost people to some degree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And the most and it, 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 it's almost like uh, science fiction. I, I see it and, and you see the progression of technology and, and it's exponential. Uh, just with the computational power alone and the things that you can do now, I mean, just look at topology optimization. Uh, back then, it was something that started, it, I mean, there, there there were some people doing it, but now you have uh, generative design, topology optimization. Uh, you have all this uh, software that can help you and assist you in, in doing a lot of things that were not possible before. And and that's one of the other things that if, if you believe as an engineer that once you go to school and you finish, you're done, then you you're obsolete by the time you finish. You have to keep keep going and updating and learning. And it's a never ending story. I mean, really, really never ending story. Yeah. And if I continue to read off of your, you know, your LinkedIn page, like you went to MIT Sloan School of Management, you did the Ohio State University did the Lean Six Sigma black belt over there, you know, which, which a lot of books talk about as well, the, the Six Sigma. And then, of course, you just recently finished the Wharton Executive Advanced Finance Program over there. So, you know, you're one of the Wharton alumni there. So you're continuously learning and expanding your knowledge base. What about your network? How has that grown, you know, being in so many different places and, and countries? Have you continued to establish that or continue to grow that? Or can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, talking about uh, a little bit about some of the factors that I uh, discussed previously, you know, the, uh, the hard work, the environment, the network, and the relationships. I think it's something that in the last few years I've been trying to nurture a little bit more. Um, I don't necessarily have a lot of social media presence, and I want to change that because I'm in a position now that I want to be able to provide advice, and this the reason why i believe that this uh this opportunity to share some of this information with you is because i want to help as many uh, people as possible i want to help in the only way that i can 
that is just sharing uh, my knowledge and sharing my experiences and helping those that uh, are starting their careers. Um, Networking-wise, I do uh, have a lot of uh, connections in, in, in South Korea and Japan, uh, a lot of connections in Spain. Um, obviously, I have a very close relationship with Mexico and some of the things I do with some of the businesses. Um, so it's, for me, it's easy to transitioning from, you know, hey, we have a, a, a company that is just established in the U.S. and we want to expand and scale up. For me, it's uh, relatively easy because I've been there. I know that. I know I know how it works, how every country operates. And um, it gives me an advantage every time I want to... Uh, uh, I want to succeed in that in that realm well, um, but yes it's it never stops uh i grew up in an environment that really um it was very small uh, we don't really have a lot of connections um i can tell you that um the more i get involved with uh educational courses and some of these uh and groups uh, my connections are getting uh more maybe sophisticated in a way, uh, but I can see the same problems sometimes, I can see the same needs. So I think uh, if I can participate and help others, it's, it's something that it gives me a great pleasure. Well, and that also makes sense because if you value education, which you definitely do based on your educational background and history, you don't want all of those years of experience and learning and hard work that you've put into that to eventually just die in your brain. Like you want that to pass on. You don't want that information to just, you know, only live inside of you. If you have all those experiences, it would be amazing for that to be shared, you know, future generations to be passed down because, you know, why should somebody have to walk the exact same path as you just to get to the same place? Like, you know, help them uh, to eventually move the world forward. So I want to ask, what is something that, you know, you hope the next generation, so to speak, takes on or learns or that you've learned over the years that you would like for people to either look into or be more knowledgeable about or has really helped you in your career? Yeah, I think uh, we can also look at some of the obstacles and how some mm -hmm. of those obstacles can help uh, younger generations to, uh, um, uh, for the future generations get better. Uh, I've seen, it, especially in my career, because of my background, I've seen poverty, I've seen uh, nepotism, I've seen biases, I've seen racism, and I'm not completely fixated with uh, these systematic problems. Uh, but but this exists, and even if society and companies are trying to change, I think there has to be a uh, safe room for debate uh, that we're able to discuss some of these problems. And it's not something new. It is something that it's it's rooted in in every single society in a in a different way. And we have multiple examples. Uh, I mean, you can see. Uh, I mean. Here in the U.S., professional sports—it's uh, it's a big component of uh, entertainment. You look at American football. Uh, there's always this debate about um, hiring the head coach and how some head coaches are treated differently. How do they manage to get through a path that is the path with least resistance? And going back to some of the three points that I that I talk about is one is hard work. Sometimes it's your environment, your relationships. Sometimes it's luck. And for some of them, it's their environment. They're lucky. And hard work, eh, it might not necessarily be the, the case, but uh, it's a combination of everything. Uh, 
uh, in my from my perspective, I always felt that um, it's something that I call the undrafted syndrome. Uh, I don't know if you have seen all these players that uh, they're the greatest, the greatest that have done it. Let's say Tom Brady, uh, let's say Drew Brees. Some of these guys, they don't necessarily come from the best schools. They don't come from the best environments. They don't come from, from a region where the, everybody expects you to succeed. So I want to tell all the young generations that there's always the chance and there's always a possibility for you to succeed, no matter the problems in society, uh, no, no, matter, no matter that. Um, and there's multiple examples. Uh, and it, it's something that uh, over the years, I've noticed that uh, people don't necessarily talk about it, but there's uh, personalities that uh, they're very critical about it. I mean, you remember Muhammad Ali uh, in some of the interviews that he made uh, during his career about talking about lack of diversity. You hear uh, Carl Sagan, uh, you know, talking about it and comparing how society resembles Star Wars. And uh, he, he was talking to Johnny Carson and asking him, like, hey, why everybody at Star Wars uh, resembles the, the two of us? Why there's in the universe, you have multiple co colors, you have multiple, uh, you know, planets, you have multiple, but ev everything in Star Wars just seems like the same. And, you know, this is uh, somebody that it's uh, well-respected and uh, he, he, used, he used every platform at his disposal to talk about it. And in a way, I want to do the same. I want to be able to share with everybody that problems exist and uh, we need to do something to fix them. So what's one problem that you'd like to talk about if you know whether it's a debate or a discussion that you know is on your heart that you'd like to to share about? Yeah, I, I mean it, it's something that I experience even now, racism and biases. Um, in the end in my professional career, it's I've always been judged in a different way. Uh, the expectations are higher, the, uh, the the amount of work that you have to do in order to be among your peers, it's always, it's always seems to be always more. Uh, there's always this reasonable doubt that you have on your back. But at the same time, it has helped me to, uh, to keep being disciplined and understand that I have responsibility. Because if I made it to this point, then I'm responsible because I do have, in my opinion, I have a gift. That gift was either, if you believe in God, it was maybe given by God. If you believe, if you don't believe in God, maybe by the universe. So I have responsibility to use my abilities, my skills, my brain to do good. And I don't want to let uh, some of these problems, uh, you know, stop somebody else from getting to uh, the point or to where they need to be. Um, I, I think it's something that it needs to be discussed. It needs to be, there's, there needs to be an open forum and there needs to be a way that we can uh, entertain this dialogue about, hey, can we, how can we make com companies, organizations, schools, and all these systems better, uh, especially with AI. And, you know, AI, there's a lot of biases. The data is biased. And we need to make sure that when we're deploying some of these models and we're training all these models, they 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 are taking into account some of these issues. 
So, and you know, I, I want to ask a question, and, and I'm not on either side of any topic, and I don't even know if there's a side, but I just want to ask questions to see how you think, and that's in regards to. So, is the idea for you that um, because of racism or racism that you've experienced or witnessed that equality is not there and equality is one of the most important things because i just want to throw this out there that you know if people are allowed to you know be and think and choose whatever they want to be in this day and age um and you know change genders and all those types of things then are people not also allowed to choose to be racist um so i just want to it's a really high it's a really philosophical thought but as you were speaking some of those points just like i don't know just click with me yeah, I, I think it's it's a very delicate subject too. I think uh, if we want to be politically correct or not, uh, it's it's something that we we uh, that we have to be always careful uh, because uh, in the end we we want to try to maintain objectivity, and I I do believe there's inequality, and this inequality comes from some of it comes from 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 that uh from the fact that uh there's lack of diversity but there's multiple studies i mean there's 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 science behind it that says that a an organization that is more diverse it is more innovative and is more successful and there there is no doubt about that um so there's going to be resistance like anything else because change is not easy it's difficult but um, I mean, you look at it right now. There's there's a huge movement with uh, uh, women in the C-suites, uh, women in uh, boards, and I think it's amazing. It is something that uh, is going to help shape the future for a lot of these young uh, um, young engineers and young uh, businessmen and women and uh, and people to look forward to you know enter the uh, the, the workforce because they know that they're represented, that uh, somebody like them is there. And that empowers you, that really empowers you. No, and you know, my wife is much smarter than me. So I think it's really important that there's more women employed um, in, in the C-suite, especially you know, if, they're, if they're qualified to do so. But you also touched on this idea, I'm gonna call it of, of efficiency or optimization because there's studies out there that, that you know, there's better performance among more diverse workplaces. And, and uh, in one of the Wharton programs, or I don't remember where, where exactly I, I, I heard it, um, could have been at a Stanford program as well, where, um, where essentially the idea was that if you have diverse people, and, and I witnessed this firsthand, then you obviously have diverse experiences because they all have diverse upbringings. We all have you know, our, own, uh, our own callings. And therefore you get a broader range of ideas and therefore the better ideas or the combination of those ideas will, will win. So, ju so just, you know, intellectually or philosophically, it also makes sense that diverse workplaces should come out with better ideas. So I'm totally on side with what you're saying on that regard. But I guess what you're saying is also you're still seeing it, you're still experiencing it, um, and you want to have a platform or that's something that you've struggled with or an obstacle you've maybe overcome or maybe haven't overcome and that you think needs to be addressed. And that's really important to you. Yeah, no, I, I think it still needs to be addressed. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I, in a way, I love music, but I don't know anything about music. So the fact that I, I now I know you, it's a, it's a great compliment for my, uh, for my, 
you know, portfolio of experiences because now I know somebody that can uh, talk about it. You can tell me more about it. You can tell me why every time I play, uh, you know, classical music, I feel something in the back of my head that gives me pleasure. It's like, how, how is that possible? Like, I, I never experienced that. So, uh, yes, I. in the end, you know, we can quote uh, Martin Luther King. And sometimes it needs to get really black before you can see the stars. Mm. So I I heard that and it was like it just resonated on me. It's like yes, it's right. Sometimes we ha almost have to get to the to the bottom so you can really see a light at the end. And I think there is a light, and uh, and it's just about keeping work, keeping and working towards that um, that world that maybe is a utopia. But if we can make it incrementally better. I think it's better for everybody, for society, for uh, you know, for the new generations, and for the old generations. No, that makes a lot of sense um, on that side of things. So we got very much into some philosophical discussions, which I think is great as well. Um, so I appreciate you know us us going on that side of things. So what is it that you want to do in your career um, wise moving forward, and what are you excited about right now? Because what you're doing is already really exciting. And can you share a little bit about um, what stage you guys are at with that? Because like I said, to me, it sounds like you're almost printing humans to a large degree. And I know that's an exaggeration, but uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, no, the, right now we are on uh, the stage of developing a minimal bioproduct. Uh, so we have some tests, we've performed some tests and we know that the product works. And uh, now the, uh, the plan is to be able to deploy that product as fast as possible. Um, so it's a combination of things, um, you know, like startups pivot and they change and they're flexible. So we're trying to find the best uh, business model for uh, for this company. And I mean, there's statistics. Uh, a lot of the classes at Wharton will tell you that uh, the business model is really what's going to keep the uh, startup uh, afloat or not. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be super innovative. If you have a very disruptive business model, that's all you need. Um, so I think this experience, especially at Wharton, has helped me see that, that sometimes me personally as an engineer, you believe that you have to change the world by creating this new knowledge or, but sometimes it's not necessary. It's just by using what is already available, spinning, spinning in, a, in a different way than nobody's thought before. And we're, we're in that process. So uh, we had some seed money. Uh, we're bootstrapping most of it. And we are reaching the uh, second stage, and uh, hopefully in the next probably year, maybe year and a half, we'll we'll, we'll try to find uh, more funding and keep working on it. Uh, my expectation is that in the next three months, we'll have a uh, a machine, a prototype uh, working, and uh, just printing out product and just start acquiring our few first customers and just go from there. Uh, I'm very passionate about it because I think if we can save animal lives and human lives, that that is just a personal satisfaction. I think if we can change the world in that way, it, it's it's something that will it will make me very happy. Yeah, and uh, like you had just touched on, um, you've in the past, you know, when you took apart those cars or those parts and you, and you reassembled them and you just found a different use case for them and sold them for more, that makes sense. And you're essentially saying, you know, there's there's opportunities to do that all, all over the country again and all over the place and one thing i want to ask specifically is is the idea to print organs like kidneys 
and things like that in skin or or what kind of organs or tissue are you guys planning on printing or what's the idea at least the idea is not necessarily to print the organ itself because that requires a lot uh a lot more regulations what you want to be able to print is uh tissue that uh, replicates either the kidney cells or the uh, lung cells or some of the other uh, organs. So imagine a really small kit where you have uh, pieces of tissue, this really small piece of tissue separated, and then you follow a workflow. That workflow is, is whatever you want to target. Let's say, hey, I want to measure or replicate from the moment that somebody is taking the, uh, the drug. What happens? Well, first it goes to your uh, your trachea, and then you obviously have some certain cells there. Then perhaps it goes to the to your digestive system, and then it goes gets absorbed by your liver, by your kidneys, and then uh, it goes to your lungs. So that way, imagine you're going to have five different sets of tissue, and those are going to be uh, replicating depending on which organ you want to replicate and the order, because it can be different order. And it can be different compounds. So, so that way, let's say I want to replicate the entire system. Like replicating skin itself, uh, it's tricky, but it's possible. But let's say if I want to replicate the entire system, it's complicated because you have to have cells for everything. And that's not necessarily something that you want to do. It's not perfect. It's almost like we are we're trying to solve 70% of the problem, which is all right, let's pick the main organs, use those live cells of those main organs and try to um, develop the drug as best we can. So this is not going to replace what is currently uh, done. It's just going to help you. Let's say if you had uh, the sign of experiments that was, I don't know, 3,000 tests. And this way, it might help you save a thousand experiments. Why? Because you were able to test it instead of live animals, you were able to taste it in tissue. So that way, by the time you get to the animal, that is the most expensive part. And then humans, obviously, more expensive in the ethical sense and also in the economical sense, then your, uh, your trials are going to be optimized because mm -hmm. now you know what's What's, what is the effect on, on some of these organs without even having something uh, like an animal or somebody getting tests? Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So essentially, it's something that pharma companies could use if they're developing a new drug to do something before animal testing to say, hey, if we place this medicine on these tissues, how are they going to react to it? If they yes. go up in flames, this is not a good idea. Let's not test it on animals. If it seems to react somewhat positively, then hey, maybe we can start testing this on, on animals and, and take it to the next stage. Yep. And you guys are essentially replicating the tissue cells that those drugs would come in contact with. And this would be an easier and simpler way and a more humane way to start testing uh, drugs that are going to be probably used. Yeah, imagine this big funnel. And this big funnel yeah. has uh, probably hundreds of thousands of combinations. Well, now you might be able to narrow it down and maybe the funnel is just half of it. Mm -hmm. So think about like, because before you couldn't test all that. Now you can't test some of it uh, off, offline. So you mm -hmm. test that offline and then you just bring it. Uh, it just gives you a competitive advantage for anybody. Yeah, of course. Then you just have to figure out how does it react in the real world eventually later on outside of yes. those main core places that it would have touched or, or gone through which makes Correct. it a lot simpler and to isolate the problem as well. Because, you know, if you test an animal or a human, 
all you see is a negative reaction. You actually don't necessarily know which part was affected. Um, so there's another advantage on that side. Yeah, think about the cost uh, um, of having all these animals and doing all this testing. And these are uh, engineer uh, animals. So it, it just takes a lot of time to produce them. And it takes a lot of money to have them, to maintain them. And I mean, their lifespan is not that uh, long. I mean, you have to keep working with them, otherwise uh, they die. So it, it's... Yeah. It's a very interesting and unique solution. So really excited to see how you guys do it. Hoping, you know, wishing you guys all the luck on that side of things. Um, and it, to me, it sounds like you guys have a ton of obstacles and software and hardware things to, to deal with, which, which are all beyond my head and my scope that I could provide zero input on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but really glad that we had a, a chance to have this conversation and to dive into some of that. Is there anything else that you want to share with some of our listeners today or that that we got into and maybe didn't fully expand on? No, I think it's just uh, my door is open to anybody that needs help. Um, obviously, I I try to to do my best to share my knowledge and I'll, I'll be more diligent about using social media to share some of it. Um, but the uh, the floor is open. If anybody needs to contact me, or they need the advice, or if somebody wants to uh, provide my name to somebody that might need something, more than happy to help. Uh, that is my contribution to the world, and uh, I've been very gifted and uh, privileged in a way because I work extremely hard. But I know other people that is extremely hard is, is not in the same position. So that's how I want to contribute and make this world uh, better. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope people reach out and I hope that you do start sharing on social media, whether it's about thermodynamics or anything else for, you know, basics 101. I'll be sure to read some of those posts to at least, you know, expand my brain power at least. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. And I appreciate the time that you took uh, today to uh, uh, to talk to me. Of course.